Well, good morning, everybody. It is really an honor to be back. Um, you know you did okay if you're welcome back, right? But 52 years of playing the piano here at this church, I learned that this morning. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, praise God. So this morning, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, all of chapter 6, and it's a verse 1 of chapter 7. But we'll get to that here in just a little bit. I want to say that it isn't, and I said this again, I'll say it, I said it before, I'll say it again, but it really is an honor to be back uh, here at this church today. Uh, Pastor David contacted me uh, a while back and just said, hey, would you love to come back? And I said, absolutely, I would. And you know, uh, he and I, even before that moment, after the first time I spoke here, um, we had lunch together, and sharing the history of our lives, we began to see that there were some similarities between he and, he and I. Um, we learned that it was right around the same time when we were in college that we surrendered our lives to the Lord for the work of ministry. And it was around the same time, uh, some of the same circumstances that led us to, in that moment, surrendering our lives and our calling, the calling and our direction over to God. And there were a couple other things uh, that were, you know, kind of eerie in a sense, uh, in the sense of similarity. Um, but this morning, for the first time I think ever, I've put on a wireless mic headset and it fits. I mean, like, just, I, I just don't get it. Like, it's just, we got so many similarities, and so it's just, we love Pastor David, and I know you do too, and so I just want to throw that little jest out there. But, so today, we're going to go through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, all of chapter 6 in verse 1 and chapter 7. And if you know anything about 2 Corinthians, or even the letters to the Corinthians, you might know that the letters sent to the Corinthians by Paul they're oftentimes seen to be a response by Paul to the people of Corinth, or particularly the Christian church there in Corinth. And some of those questions that Paul was asked were about behaviors, the certain behaviors of those within the church that were strikingly opposite of what God would have for his saints right? And so Paul, being a church planter, being a pastor to many, he replied, and sometimes somewhat gently, but with some boldness, and sometimes he talks about, and he even says, shall I come to you with a rod, right? Uh, no, not necessarily. He says he comes to them with this boldness and instruction, but there's also an understanding across the board that Paul may have had some types of frustrations, with the activity of those in the Corinthian church, continuing to encourage them and lift them up in prayer and give them direction because of his love for them. And the more you read through Corinthians, the more you might get this sense that he just wants them to be everything that God's called them to be as a church and as individuals. And that's the beauty of the church is that it is made up of many individuals who have relationships with the Almighty God. But together, collectively, they're the body. The body that which Christ died for. That it may be a light to a dark world. I remember when I was in my first semester of college. 
I uh, went to Texas A&M University. I was at their Galveston campus, which is at the time, and I believe still is, their only campus that is truly still Texas A&M. You're considered Aggies there instead of a different, under a different mascot. You can get the Aggie ring, all that stuff. And so I started out there to do maritime engineering. And, you know, I lived down near the water. It seemed appealing. And then I got there, and I started studying, and I learned, the, like, the reality of the job was you're going to be on a vessel, a boat, or a ship, nine to ten months out of the year. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, because I had the hopes and dreams of having a family, and that just didn't seem conducive to that. But the thing is also, when you live on the coast, hurricanes come. And it was 2008, still at the time, I was 18 years old, and Hurricane Ike was coming for us there in the Galveston area. My city, its name was Kima, and it blew through with magnitude, and it brought flooding and brought some destruction, not to the entire area, but to some. And it flooded various neighborhoods in the area that I grew up in. And I had this overwhelming desire to help, to contribute. And two houses down from us was one of the fire chiefs. And so I went to him and I said, look, I know I have no training, I have nothing, but I want to help. Can I help? He goes, yes, we're starting search and rescue in the morning. Come on over. And so I jumped straight in, and I went, we went door to door, hundreds of houses. It's a tiring job to do that. Hundreds of houses, sometimes having to gain entry, check, check closets, check all this stuff. Thanks be to God we didn't find anybody, which was great, right? Everybody had gotten out. But I remember feeling this overwhelming fire and desire within me to contribute, to help, to be there. And I believe that sometimes we have that type of desire for many varied things or a few varied things in our lives. Like sometimes we think about the things that really excite us or the things that help us to, um, that give us a drive, right? That get us excited to go and help other people. You know, but when we think about the things that God calls us to do, I have a hunch that sometimes when we read through the Word and we see the call of Christ on us to be the aroma of Christ to the world, to be the light to the world, to go forth and to fulfill the mission of God, there are at times a lack of excitement about that, a lack of drive, a lack of desire. And I don't think that's because your heart is, is wrong. I think sometimes we find ourselves in situations where it just doesn't seem like, maybe it's not before our eyes, it just doesn't seem like there is an imperative thing that must be done in the sense of our faith. You know, when the Christians were in Rome, the early church was in Rome, when persecution broke out and there was the great dispersion There were some who left, and then there were some who stayed. And those who stayed, they would sit and face persecution for the sake of their witness to the Lord. And there were some who stayed and even were captured because kind of the deal was this. If you were found to be a Christian, and you were brought before the officials, all you had to do was renounce your faith verbally and to walk away still holding in your heart the belief. But for those who were of the early church, they would say that to renounce my faith verbally is to renounce it in all ways. And there were saints who stood before officials 
And they said, I will not renounce my faith. And they were martyred. And the word martyr in the Greek, I don't even, I don't remember the like technical way to say the Greek word, so please forgive me on that. But martyr is the word witness. It translates directly as witness. Those who were faithful witnesses until the end. And also the early church in those Roman provinces when plagues would break out. There were people who stayed and people who helped families who had lost a loved one. And there were people who put their own lives at risk. They found themselves in the immediacy of the call to be Christ-like. And also, too, in a culture and society, that of Rome, because, you know, this is how, this is particularly who they were surrounded by and the society and culture they were surrounded by when the early church started. But they found themselves oftentimes bringing in children who were left outside because Roman law said it could, that was okay. If the desire wasn't there, exposure was okay. So Christians would go along the roads to find children to bring them in and to raise them in Christ's name. They were in the midst of immediacy. Immediacy to be faithful unto the Lord. And I have a hunch that sometimes we don't feel like that sense of immediacy is before us. That we don't have this great persecution. That we don't have this great plague or this great famine or X, Y, Z things, you could fill in the blanks. And sometimes we may think that leads to a lackluster experience as a Christian. But I want to encourage you today, and this is that the ultimate goal for God's calling for the church, yes, is to meet needs. Yes, is to encourage. Yes, is to build up. Yes, is to fulfill whatever anyone is lacking. But we are called as faithful witnesses with our words and with our relationships and with our spirit and support. First, when Jesus calls the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, He calls them to go therefore And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that He commanded them. And He gave them one last encouragement in that moment. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so today, what I want to point out is that, yes, we may not always feel like we are in the immediacy of a Christian response to a community Maybe one where we have felt like many are Christian for, have been Christians for a long time. But there is always an immediacy to share your faith that somebody may call upon the Lord for salvation. That someone may call upon His name. And today we find ourselves, yes, like I've said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to read this for us today, all the way to verse 1 of chapter 7, and then I'll just touch on some things throughout uh, after we read this in full. So if you would please follow along with me in your Bible. 
Paul says in the Word of God, working together with Him, this is God, we get to work together with God, a beautiful thing. He says, working together with Him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with, it, with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, before I move forward reading this part, I want you to catch the polars, the intensity of suffering, and the beauty of peace. The intensity of hardship and the beauty of being able to follow the Lord unhinderedly. Now, continuing. In verse 4. There we go. I'll just start in verse 3. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown, and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and not yet killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with, with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion? Does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, since we have these promises. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So there's a lot there. 
There's a lot of strong encouragement that Paul is giving to the Corinthians. But the first thing I want us to look at is that in verse 1, Paul says, Working together with him, God, then we appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. The word there, in vain, kinos, is, uh, kinos means vain, empty, empty-handed. And it's almost as if Paul is coming to the Corinthians and has said, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Do not perceive that the grace of God that has been poured out through Jesus Christ to all those who, who have called upon Him and will call upon Him. Do not perceive at any time that that is empty of its power for you or for others. He says, now the grace of God abounds. Do not perceive in any way that it is empty, that it can leave you empty-handed, that it can lead you into vain pursuits, worthless pursuits. Perceive and know and believe that the grace of God for you unleashes you to do the greatest of ministry to those around you. You may ask the questions, what leads us day by day in faithfulness to God? It's the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that helps us to overcome sin and addiction and still in the future through repentance to live a faithful life to God and a faithful life to those around us. It is the never-ending grace of God for you. What is it that unleashes you for ministry? In any capacity, it is the grace of God, knowing that you were saved. Continuing on here, Paul emphasizes, he says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is the time of immediacy. That we can, at any moment, have an immediate need before us that we, through the grace of God, can help to meet. That we, through God's grace, can bring peace into a moment with no peace at all. And you know, when I think about the word peace... And I go back to the Hebrew, I think of the word shalom, which means it's not just the absence of conflict, but it is also the presence of flourishing. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Isn't it an amazing thing to realize that each of us has the opportunity to lead someone into flourishing? When I think about my little girl, who turned three in the time that I last was here and am now here, that she turned three years old in September, and as she ages, which, by the way, if you've ever told anybody, like, hey, your kids grow up like that, you're, you're wise. You're, you're absolutely right. I had people tell me that growing up, and I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe so. A year is a long time, and then, like, in a day, she's three, right? You know? But isn't it true that we have the opportunity, even as parents, to help our children flourish? through personal sacrifice, right? But I want to tell you this too. Jesus didn't have 
biological children. Right? He didn't have biological children. But through his act of sacrifice, he has led many sons and daughters to God. And so you have, a, maybe not yet, maybe you have, maybe in different ways you have this beautiful ability and capability and opportunity given to you to be all you can be for those who are of your blood. But the call to serve Christ, yes, includes that, but includes helping others as well. To come to know the Lord, to become His sons and daughters, and now is the favorable time for that. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul goes forward, he says, we put no obstacles in anybody's way, and he gives this long list of all the things that they have experienced. And he says, right at the very end of that, while all these things have happened, yet we possess everything. And he goes into another word of encouragement for the Corinthians. He says this, we set out to not restrict you. We set out that you may have your hearts widened. He says, but you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Now, when it talks about affections, it's the word that talks about the literal inside, the literal, literal guts of a person. You can think about a moment when you've been shocked or something's come to you and it's been a surprise and you feel the jump in your stomach, the visceral movement, the visceral feeling, that the feeling that produces an, like a physical response. It's saying that within you, you have these affections within you that are keeping you from being everything that's God, that God has called you to be. So, as many of us know, there has been this long-running, um, I guess, how would I describe it? It's this long-running fascination with home renovation, right? Um, we know that Chip and Joanna Gaines with Magnolia, they're kind of seen as the front runners. They're in Waco for revitalizing houses, finding the worst house on the best block to make it beautiful and to just increase value, right? 300 times, uh, 300 times at the, uh, sometimes. Like, all these things happen. You got HGTV, you got like maybe the Home Improvement Network. Maybe that's not even real, but I think it probably exists, right? But you see this fascination with home renovation. My wife and I even decided to renovate our home. We never cussed, right? We never cussed. We're like, Lord, we know you're with us. But there were times where we hated it, right? We're like, this is a lot of work, and we're doing it by ourselves. I don't have that tool. Okay, we got to spend more money, blah, 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 right? All this happened. But isn't it interesting, though, that when a house sits vacant for a long period of time, it seems to, de to dilapidate faster, right? It seems to fall apart faster. There is a house in Plainview that's on 7th Street that looks like in its day was a beautiful home. Was built like early 1900s, like 1904 or something like that. It's, a, it's considered a historical house in Plainview. And when I drive by, I just dream about it. And I'm like, man, 
I wish that there was just an opportunity to see that thing turn around and become beautiful. And so I was driving one day to see a student, and I saw a for sale sign. And I called my wife. I was like, it's for sale. And she's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, but just let me call and ask. And she's like, no, don't do that. I said, I'm going to call and ask. And she's like, okay. So I called and asked, and everything in the house needs to be replaced. Everything, from the roof to the hardwood floors, everything, HVAC, electrical, plumbing, everything needs to be updated. And quickly I realized, there ain't no way, right? That's not for me, that's for somebody else to do, right? But I bring up that illustration to you is because we, as Paul says here, that we are restricted in our own affections, that we must have our hearts widened, literally made broad, enlarged. You think about the Grinch, right? The Grinch. Christmas time is coming, right? So you may watch it. But he felt that strange feeling in his heart, or in his chest. And his heart grew and grew and thumped. Paul is saying, not in the sense of, you know, being movement from the Grinch to, um, you know, um, a person who loves other people, but in the sense of you as a follower of Jesus, you who have the potential to do everything that God has called you to do in this one life you have, he says, let your heart enlarge and widen to see beyond just what's in front of you, to maybe see beyond, while still caring to the utmost, to see beyond just the needs of your family, but to see the needs of your community. To see and to recognize and maybe even to imagine the needs of those who have no voice or have not voiced it. And he goes on to say this, that we are the temple of the living God. When a house is left vacant, it seems to fall apart faster. But for us, we are all we can be when we let the Holy Spirit lead our lives. When we let God direct us. When we let God, through His Holy Spirit, to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Which against such things there is no law, as Paul tells us in Galatians 5. But when we let the Holy Spirit of God lead us and guide us, and we say to him, God, I need wisdom, show me. God, I need love, help me to love. God, I need patience, help me to be patient. God, I need you to radically renew my life. And he will, he will, surrendering to God is never a bad move. Surrendering your life to God in this day and choosing the grace of God rather than seeing it as empty, choosing to surrender daily will lead you to where you need to be for the Lord and for others. Now Paul goes on here and he says a couple things. Uh, he quotes some scriptures from Leviticus and Isaiah and then he gets over here to the end, uh, to the very beginning, excuse me, 
of chapter 7. And he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. And it's interesting here, if you take note of this, he does not just target the spirit. He doesn't just say, rid your mind of impure thoughts. He doesn't just say, begin to think a little bit better about that person. Just consider a little bit more their circumstances. He doesn't just talk about the spiritual. He talks about your whole existence, your body, your mind, your soul, everything. Because in the day and time, the Greeks and others thought you could be fragmented. That one area of your life could be participating in these things and be completely untouched by this area of your life. And so you can compartmentalize spirituality, but the truth is, no, that's not right. It's one. We are one. With the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts, we have the opportunity to be renewed, not just inwardly, but outwardly. And he says that when we begin to be renewed outwardly and inwardly, that helps us to further bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. And in verse one, verse 1 of chapter 7, he says, since we have these promises. And you've got to think, like, what promises is Paul talking about here? Like, what sort of promises do the Corinthians have that maybe they haven't been recognizing before, but now because the time is favorable and because the day of salvation is near and because the grace of God is offered and because we have the opportunity to widen our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit as, as the temple of the living God, what promises do we have? And it's first this, that we have salvation through Jesus. That we have salvation through Jesus. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if anybody would believe in my words and follow them and trust them, it will be as if they built their house on the rock. That they built it on the rock and not on the sand. And it says also too in Scripture and continuing the promises that Paul is elaborating on that not only do we have salvation through Jesus, but God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. Not only can the house be founded on the rock, but inside it can have those who know everything about everything for the care and for the beautification and the continuance of that house. And the third promise is that God our Father, making us His sons and daughters, protects us and guides us into His will. And so we can be founded on the rock through the sacrifice of Jesus and through the forgiveness we have in Him and through surrendering to Him, we can have the promised Holy Spirit dwelling within. And through trust in God's will, we can have ultimate protection from anything that may come at us. It is God who keeps us from dilapidation. And it is He who also calls us to be a light to the world. I think, and I'll close with this story. When I was reading through this, I couldn't help but think of this book called lest innocent blood be shed, or in fear that innocent blood be shed. And it's this book, it's, it's, it's essentially a biography for a community. 
that was uh, in southern France. Uh, I don't speak French, and I'm not going to attempt um, to, you know, to make you think that I have an accent or can pronounce it. Le Chambon, I think is, uh, yeah, that's the name of the village that they lived in, and it's in southern France, and it was right along the demarcation line in the middle of World War II when Nazis had just spread all throughout Europe, and there was this village that had a pastor, a couple pastors, but one of the pastors there, name was Andre Trochme. Andre Trochme. And Andre, Pastor Andre, in his time there, in that village, he didn't leave, he stayed, and they chose to bring in Jews and to hide them, to feed them, to clothe them, to give them shoes, everything that they needed. And their response in that way was fueled and directed by what they attribute to the will of God in their lives. And he goes back and he shared, and he shared that for him, the thing that made the most difference was watching his father, who had a house church, watching his father with others around, constantly, daily pray this one prayer. Lord, help us to do our duty. Lord, help us to do our part for your purposes and for your plan and for your will in this world. And that prayer stuck with him. And he prayed it all the way through World War II, even on into an internment camp. Because he eventually was found out to have been housing and protecting Jews. And so the Nazis came for him, arrested him, and shipped him off to an internment camp. He survived, but it wasn't without a cost. But I can't think about the countless people who were saved and sent on to safety because he simply did his part in following the will of God. We don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know what life can bring or what it will include. But what Jesus says is be ready. Be ready. Whatever may come, be ready that we may serve him. And so today, in closing, I want to remind us that Jesus died, that we may be saved. And if you have never in your life ever put your faith or your trust in Jesus, he is worth it. And he will not disappoint. And he will lead you into something greater than you could ever imagine. And he will fulfill you. So, if you have never before in your life trusted Jesus and you want to do that, I'm going to hang around after, after the end of service today. There are others in this church I know you trust more and know more. Talk to them. Let them know what you need most. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity to sit here and to hear yet again your word be shared, remembering that you have died for us and you have given us every opportunity, not just to sit around and be saved, 
but to be saved and to be participants in your mission in this world, to share the gospel, to meet the needs of others, to be a light to the world. God, we thank you that you have done this for us and that we have your grace through your Son. Father, I pray for this congregation, and especially as Pastor David leads them, God, I pray that you'll continue to lift them up and to encourage them and to strengthen them for the work of ministry. That God, in all that they do for their families and Lord willing for others, that they may be equipped with the words to speak, the actions that are of Christ. God, help them and lead them. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your son. And it's your it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.